Hey, hey, what do you say? It is episode 69 of the Sporting Chance Podcast. It's book day. So we're going to talk about what I've been reading. And we'll get in some cards, some beer, and general Americana. Here's the show. Hey, hey, what do you say? It's the Sporting Chance Podcast. Back again, me, Matthew Maritea. Episode 69 of the show. And this one is, you know, it's for the beautiful, for spacious skies. It's for amber waves of grain. Now, why is that? It's because, uh, you know, this is, you know, we're just coming off the 4th of July holiday. And it's sort of that time of year, right, where everybody's feeling maybe a little patriotic, maybe even if you aren't, but it's out there, right? The red, white, and blue is frequent. Uh, we, you know, people are out, people are dressed. Um, there's parades, right? There's all sorts of stuff going on, and it, you know, it sort of stirs up in me as a as a sports fan, uh, you know, that sort of feeling, right? That that midsummer uh, type of way where you start thinking, feeling, you know, baseball, it, the dog days, the doldrums as it, as it sort of draws on. And yeah, it's just, it's a truly, I think, a unique experience. I don't think this is something that happens really anywhere else in the world uh, or, you know, really w- with any other sport. I mean, save for, you know, the hot dog eating contest at Nathan's where Joey Chestnut, his unprecedented 15th championship, Badlands Booker, now a two-time lemonade chug champion. I mean, th- the event just keeps getting bigger and bigger every year, and it's, it is it is truly a sight to behold. But, uh, yeah. So it is, you know, it's the 4th of July holiday. It's sort of this groundswell of things. But, you know, baseball is a very, it's a, it's a tiring game. Um, and you can't always talk about it, right? It's, right, I mean, look, look at the announcers. They talk about other things in the middle of a game. And also, a side note, a slight divergence from the plan here, but uh, there's this notion going around, and I, you know, one of the TV stations uh, just did this. They broadcasted a baseball game without announcers, and so, right, uh, MLB Sunday leadoff presentation. Uh, it was uh, Royals Tigers. No commentators in the booth. Just the sounds um, and, you know, different uh, camera angles. Uh, you know, this happens I- incredibly, incredibly rarely. Um, it's happened uh, in the NFL before, New York Jets versus the Miami Dolphins back in 19. 19- 
80. Um, there were some on-screen graphics, apparently. Um, but it was the last time it had happened until July 3rd, 2022. Peacock. Um, you know, a lot of people did not like it. Um, and frankly, I think that just... They add something to the game, right? There's a there's so much personality that goes with baseball, whether it's the players, whether it's the announcers themselves, right? Are they dry? Are they sarcastic? Uh, are they storytellers, right? There's there's just so much happening, uh, you know, within the game, where there are so many different angles and threads to pull. Um, yeah, it's really, really something that I think needs announcers. Um, it's weird and it's almost uncomfortable, right? Yeah. I don't know. Well, I guess technically, well, the WWE apparently also did it, but that was after a heart attack. Um, so, yeah. But there's been all sorts of weird things, right? There was a cloud crowdless game, uh, Baltimore Orioles versus Chicago White Sox, April 29th, 2015. Uh, that was thanks to uh, a lot of civil unrest in Baltimore. Um Let's see. Oh, the Heidi game. Apparently, a Jets broadcast was cut short due to the show Heidi, resulting in change procedure allowing games to be shown to conclusion. That's that's pretty cool. But it's... Yeah. Uh, so, anyway. Yeah, let, let there be announcers. Right? And Philadelphia is, is a city so tied to its announced teams, it would just not work without that. I mean... Yeah, but anyway, getting into the rest of the show, um, after I crack a beer. Now, this beer, uh, Ship Bottom Brewery, one that I've talked about maybe once or twice before, um, it's Do Not Pass Goza, right? So it's got the Monopoly Man on front. It was made uh, in honor of AC Beer Fest, um, but it is a Goza, so it's an ale conditioned on guava fruit, mango puree, passion fruit, and sea salt. Supposed to have that type of natural sourness to it, right? It's not like a purposeful or extreme sour. This is a natural sort of German style. Um, but it's got a bunch of fruits, right? So there's a lot that's going on. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, I always really like if they can get sort of that salt come out. Um, and, you know, it goes over... It, Typically, it's at least 50% malted wheat that goes into there. Uh, you know, you get local water or salt and a little pre, because I just had to work that thumb under to get that up. But yeah, we're going to go for the can crack now. And three, two, one. There we go. Ah. 
Nice carbonation, lots of bubbles. Pale white head. Almost see-through. And that's a, yeah, that's got a nice pop, sort of sour kick to it. Um, it's also, hmm, how else do I put this? A little limey? Maybe? Or you know what, that might be the mango puree coming through. And mango is always weird because I'm, my Rita's mango is what I associate with mango, and that's not it, not at all. Uh, yeah, moving on. So this is uh, what I am entitling the book episode because I've been doing a lot of reading, um, right? So uh, basically one of the things I sort of set out to do this year for myself uh, was read a ton. Um, you know, write more about reading, talk more about reading, sort of get back in touch with you know, my, my bookish roots, sort of, uh, as a person. Um, so I've been pouring through books. Uh, I had a big stack of them. And so far, five of them have been sort of related to, to baseball or, well, yeah, five of them related to baseball in, in some way. Uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about those and just sort of... You know, talk about kind of the influence and where I'm going with it because it's slightly inspiring, maybe a little more than slightly, but it, it, I think it's sort of influencing things that I'm thinking about and preparing for and, and wanting to do. But first, we'll we'll start off with uh, K. So this one, K, the hit of K, a hit. Okay, a history. Okay, I've said the letter enough. A history of baseball in ten pitches is by uh, Tyler Kepner. Uh, he was a national. Well, it was a national bestseller. Um, he worked for, you know, New York Times. Uh, you know, cover has trading cards on it, courtesy of the Topps Company. Um, but essentially, uh, each chapter is a different type of pitch. Right, you've got the introduction. First chapter is all about the slider, so we talk a lot about uh, pitchers with great sliders. Right, uh, Steve Carlton, right, had one of the best sliders uh, in the history of the game, and we sort of go through the pitch. Uh, you know, they talk a, a lot about Larry Anderson, another local sort of Philly famous type of player. He's in the announced teams now, uh, oh, who had that really great slider and it kept him in the league. But, you know, you go into the history of the pitch, the mechanics of the pitch. How is it thrown, you know, in, in baseball's golden age or the dead ball era or, you know, in, in the days of yore, right? Or how was, how has it evolved? How do they train uh, uh, kids now? Is it about the velocity? Is it about the angle? Is there anything special to the pitch? Will it hurt your arm? Will it, and it goes through. Uh, 10 of these pitches, right? Fantastically detailed uh, stories about uh, so many different uh, pitchers, pitches, right? So you've got a slider, fastball, curveball, knuckleball, 
splitter, screwball, sinker, changeup, spitball, and the cutter. Right, and those are all pitches that have, you know, unique stories to tell. Right, the the cutter is more than just Mariano Rivera. Right, the the knuckleball is more than right. Well, it's it. The, I'm just fascinated by the knuckleball, right? By like a guy like Phil Negro, uh, R.A. Dickey, Tim Wakefield, right? And, and how do you develop it? How do you trust it? How do you get consistent with it? Um, you know, talking about spitballs and screwballs and scuffing balls and, you know, trying to get them to your specifications as a pitcher. I mean, because pitchers are wackadoodles, right? So uh, it, all of it is so interesting. And it's very, it's very much told in a way that you feel like you've gotten as much information that you can as sort of like a lay, lay baseball person without, you know, going to camp and, and getting coached again. And it's one of those things, like, it, it makes you want to go play catch. You know, it, it's one of those kinds of books. Uh, so it was great. Really loved it. Definitely pick it up. Right, but it makes you think uh, about techniques, tactics, and as someone who's also a coach, that sort of appeals to my mind. Uh, next one I'm going to talk about is if you build it, he won't come. The natural, not the no. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, it's Shoeless Joe, which is the name of the book that inspired the movie, a uh, field of or field of dreams. Right, W. P. Kinsella. Uh, he wrote this, and you know it matches up really well with the movie. Uh, there are some changes in it, right? Uh, instead of Terrence Mann, right, the author that Ray goes to find, played in the movie so famously and wonderfully by James Earl Jones, you have uh, J.D. Salinger, right? So, yeah, right. Like the catcher and the right dude, yeah, right. I know it, it sort of changes the tone and the approach of the book, but uh, either way, it, it's still uh, you know, it's still powerful, right? And there's the stories in there about uh, I guess it's Ray's twin brother that's a different sort of uh, a wrinkle within the uh, story. Uh, 1982 is a magic realist novel. W.P. Kinsella, also Canadian. Crazy. Um, he wrote a short story, Shoeless Joe Jackson Comes to Iowa. Um, and sort of developed it all at an Iowa writer's workshop. Um, you know, it plays just out of, uh, Iowa City. Uh, and it's, you know, it has Annie, Karen... Moonlight Graham, uh, which is so much an integral part of the story and the journey. And, uh, you know, he meets his dad again. Uh, His brother comes out of nowhere. Uh, Where did this baseball field come from? (laughs) Or where did the players come from? Uh, Yeah. And there's another, you know, old baseball guy we got the farm with who was a cub but wasn't really a cub. Um, yeah, uh, Eddie Sissons, right? Uh, 
Um, yeah. It, I mean, I think we all know the movie and we're all thinking of certain scenes. Um, you know, we're all thinking of Ray Liotta, uh, who passed, who played Shoeless Joe Jackson in the movie. Um, right. But even so, it's as it was said in the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, not so much about baseball as it's about dreams, magic, life, and what is quintessentially uh, American. I mean, yeah, it's... And that sort of does come through, right? Um, and I also, I really think it's funny that he decided to put J.D. Salinger in the book, right? Because he, he never met him, just sort of imagined him and uh, basing the character essentially off of some of his reading um yeah right and uh, ray kinsella is a name he took from uh, a short story called a young girl in 1941 with no waste at all um right it was the last name of his friend richard kinsella uh, you know Salinger actually uh, expressed sort of outrage that he was in there, um, which is why you know Terrence Mann was was in the movie, but I mean it's pretty incredible that uh james earl jones just sort of that little change and it was so i don't want to say unnoticeable but you know you bought it right he doesn't have to be jd salinger it's it's a really different and interesting take when you go back and you read a book for a movie that you know so well and so long right but the, the speeches they all line up the major moments it's worth reading if you haven't. Um, it'll get to you, you know, if you're one of those kind of people. But yeah, yeah, it's definitely something I enjoyed. And so, and these next two I'm going to group together. Uh, so it's before there was bubblegum. Our favorite pre-war, pre-World War One baseball cards written by Dan Haley and Allison Hamlin. And then there's the bubblegum card War of the Great Bowman and top sets from 1948 to 1955. So essentially, these two books uh, come as a set, and it's you know about the beginnings of the baseball card collecting hobby. It started you know in earnest before World War One. Uh, you know as baseball really came to fruition. Uh, in the very early 1900s to the 1910s, uh, it became a true national league and the true, you know, biggest sport there was. And it went beyond that. So, obviously, there was a big dip in, uh, after, you know, you had the Great Depression. Then you had everybody go away for World War II. Uh, but once that was over, right... Uh, in 1940-whatever, you know, right, 1948, things sort of get back to normal, and, you know, it, the, the competition explodes. And you get into uh, a very bloodthirsty war 
right, between uh, Topps and Bowman, especially, uh, the two biggest competitors. Um, and it's, you know, very interesting to just read about cards as a business, right? It's so much bigger than just a hobby. There's millions of hundreds of millions of billions now of dollars wrapped up in this and there were deals with players and exclusivity and right the ted williams would only sign with fleer uh there are all sorts of things that happened um and you know the why does the honus wagner card sort of hold that value right how rare are they how rare are these old cigarette cards uh or the original cracker jacks right and these cards would get damaged from being in packages with the gum with cracker jacks um you know by the time they did get a little better and have a little more protection right they still weren't being released in such mass quantities and then it's about survival so uh, there are there are these cards out there there are the not these cards out there but it makes you right wonder like what what do i want right um i know i'm i'm currently on the hunt for an Eddie Waitkiss cards. Uh, I think he's got a super interesting story, and I want to talk about that later on after I get a couple. Um, so that's sort of a preview pot. But yeah, it's Tops, Bowman, uh, pre-war cards, uh, you know, the Allen and Ginters going way back to the 1800s. It's all worth reading. And... What's more, I think it's a, a microcosm of American business. Because I've always believed that how people spend money on things that they love or collectibles or, or you know, cards. Cards and cars will tell you how the average American is doing. So, you know, it, it's sort of a peek back into those lives. And, and what was going on, what was happening. So, yeah, that was before there was bubblegum, our favorite pre World War I baseball cards and the bubblegum card war, the great Bowman and Top Sets by Dan Hanley. Uh, oh, sorry. Dan also runs, uh, sorry, not Dan, Dean. Dean Hanley. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Dean Hanley also runs Dean's Cards website where there is a whole backlog to look at. And last book I want to talk about is uh, Dave Jemison, uh, Mint Condition. This one is sort of the Bible for collectors uh, who might want to make money, who might want to start a business, who might be trying to accumulate uh, not only a collection, but maybe a little bit of wealth or depending on how they want to go about something. Really, really incredible stories, uh, you know, from the very beginning uh, to the modern day. It brings you up. Uh, certainly worth a read probably one of the most informative books i've read on the subject and also a really good business book right it it helps you understand why some decisions were made why things happened the way they did um and again it's a snapshot of life sort of going through because it takes you from you know back when you had to publish your own newsletter through the mail and write letters to guys to try to trade cards. And, you know, the big convention shows were just, that was it. That was all you could do. Uh, and now it's all about the Internet. 
and there's auctions and grading and slabbing and it is so worth having the information um yeah i can't recommend it enough mint condition dave jemison um and on that note take another sip here okay so it is a new month so I've decided I'm going to try some new cards, which I mean exciting, at least for me. Uh, but yes, so went out, saw it at Target, got myself a Diamond Kings box, 36 cards inside, six packs per card. Uh, some unwrap artist specials uh maybe some ultra rares uh you know we'll see what happens right all right i'm just gonna do one pack now love that touch of mantle on the front and i like i've always liked panini uh and sort of the way their cards look the way they feel um you know the presentation um they do a pretty good job with football so you know let's see uh, baseball and i want to take a little bit of a break from the heritage set so So, it's got my oldie but goodie. We've got Babe Ruth first off. Nice. Ryan Sandberg, former Phillies manager, better known as the Chicago Cubs second baseman. As you can see there, they don't have any of the logo rights, right? So, it's Clayton Kershaw. Doesn't have the official Dodger. Right, Luke Williams. Uh, guy we never talk about who used to be on the Phillies, right? Uh, oh, you got the artist palette with Josh Donaldson there, and then uh, Thomas Zapachki, uh super colored, right? So, you know, with the exclusive rights not being given out, I, I, you know, I was really curious to see how these looked. I think these are really beautiful, sort of artist rendered, uh, you know, cardstocks, but. Alright, those logos and not being able to use the official photos. It's right, it makes it difficult to really create a, a product I think that's gonna speak to a ton of the customer base. But you know, really nice stuff. Uh can't wait to look them up. Um Yeah, actually it's Okay, yeah, but <laughs> Ah, sorry. Anyway, uh, these cards, pretty cool. But uh, yeah, so only really one thing left to do, and that's talk about the beer. And, uh, you know, I'm, I've am i got nothing but good things to say. It's got a nice fruity-ness to it. Uh, it's not overpoweringly sour. Uh, 
you know, I definitely get the mango puree and the passion fruit. Passion fruit sort of coming out the most to me. Um, Uh, but yeah, I, I really enjoy it. Um, I think it's yeah, uh, pretty pretty good beer. I would definitely have got. I would definitely get it again. I do get a certain saltiness from it, which I think goes well. Um, yeah. It's just the only problem is I think this is a trend. The flavors are familiar. Uh, it's not doing anything new. But again, I didn't necessarily need it to. But all good. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, as always, you can find me on the interwebs at mmaritea22 on the Instagram, Matthew Maritea on Twitter. Sport Chance Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Um, medium, all sorts of things. Bell and the Birdman. And yeah, like, like and rate the pod. Uh, if you'd like, follow uh, whatever you want, really. But, you know, thank you for stopping by and hope this is good for you. Uh, Cheers. Thanks.